Chapter 3, Plural Law Systems, Plural Gods To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Isaiah 8.20 Justice, what a long quest it has been for mankind. In every society men seek justice, and they never seem to find it. Why not? Because they do not seek the God of the Bible, in whom alone there is perfect justice. Why not? Because he dispenses perfect justice, and imperfect men know what this means. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 What men say they are seeking is honest judgment, but honest judgment implies a standard, honest law. Honest judgment is not based on the wishes of the few or the will of the mighty. It is based on the wishes of the mighty one. Honest judgment can only be secured when we turn to a law that rests outside the partisan interest of fallen men. Honest judgment must rest on objective norms of law and justice. But modern man does not want to admit that such objective standards exist. They tell us to search elsewhere. Should we appeal to the latest polling statistics or the United States Supreme Court, the final court of appeal for Americans? What the Bible says is that the final court of appeal is the judgment seat of God. There is unquestionably a Supreme Court, but it is not some national Supreme Court. It is a heavenly court. No earthly court of appeal should be given absolute and final jurisdiction. Biblical Laws or Anti-Biblical Laws The study of any subject must be placed within the limits of a biblical worldview. The third principle of the biblical covenant is that God lays down the law to man. Man is supposed to exercise dominion by means of biblical law. To speak of justice, or anything else for that matter, which is isolated from a biblical covenant structure, is to lead us into a sea of ethical subjectivity. A recent example of such a quest for Bible-less law is the revival in some Christian and conservative political circles of so-called natural law ethic, as a substitute for biblical law. Humanist legal scholars do not take this revival seriously. They fully understand that Darwinian evolutionary thought destroyed any concept of humanistic natural law. Man makes his own rules in the post-Darwin world. We must understand that there is no neutrality in making laws. A law says one thing is right or wrong. This inevitably infringes on someone else's money, lifestyle, or dreams. Who wins? Who loses? If humanist man has his way, God will lose, and all those who stand with God. When autonomous self-law, man's law, prevails, we can expect God's law to be invalidated. Mark 7, 8, and 13. Satan attacked God on the basis of his law. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Genesis 3.1 He appealed to Adam and Eve to be a law unto themselves, to be like God. Verse 5 Even the devil knew that there was no neutrality. Of course, the devil is an expert in all of God's ways. He's also an expert in disobeying all of them. His law and God's law could not coexist. But ours is a day of pluralism. The God of Scripture has spoken, but so has the God of convenience, and the God of tolerance, and the God of expediency, and the God of the majority opinion, and the God of experience, and the God of all any other ethical system that seeks to be part of America's legal mainstream. Supposedly, all religions are of equal worth and validity. If so, then rival laws of these rival gods are of equal worth and validity. Yes and no are of equal validity. True and false are 
equally valid. Life and death are of equal validity, especially death, especially of unborn infants. All unborn infants are equal, but some are more equal than others, those allowed to live. This pluralism of faith has led to civil laws that are often inconsistent. They reflect the values of the many gods. Our courts are thus schizophrenic. There is no consistency because there is no single standard that must be followed. One lawgiver, one law. In biblical terms, there is but one law and one lawgiver. God thought enough of his law to send his son to keep it in every detail. If the Son of God was required to keep the law, should anything less be expected of the sons of God? Jesus was tempted at every point with respect to obeying the commands of God. Yet he remained sinless throughout his life, Hebrews 4.15. He kept the law perfectly. There was no need for Jesus to offer up sacrifices for his own sins because he committed no sins, Hebrews 7.26-28. Instead, he offered himself up as a lamb without blemish, as the law required, in order to cleanse us of our sins, Hebrews 9.14. The entire human race has been found guilty on the basis of God's law. While the law ceases to condemn the Christian, Galatians 3.13, because of Jesus' perfect obedience and his substitutionary atonement, all people are held accountable to keep the law as a standard of right and, of right and wrong, Romans 3.31. Individuals, families, schools, churches, business establishments, and civil governments must choose the law of God as a standard for decision-making. Since the individual is not free to break the law, the courts are not free to judge on any other basis of law order than that set forth in the Bible. When a dispute arose among the people, Moses directed them to the law of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Exodus 18.16 The judges appointed by Moses to share in the task of settling disputes were required to judge according to the law of God. Verses 19-20 through 20. The people as a whole must be careful not to add to the law of God or take anything from it. Deuteronomy 4.2 This indicates that God's law must be used as it is and not mixed with the changing laws of men. Men are often tempted to adapt God's commandments to fit the times. Thus, the judgment of man is deemed superior to that of God, and the commandments of God are often nullified. Cross-reference Mark 7.13 The Levitical priest as well as the judges of Israel were bound to follow the law. The people of Israel also were instructed to heed the judge's verdict because the decision was based upon the unchanging law of God and not upon the decision of men. According to the terms of the law which they teach you, and according to the verdict which they tell you, you shall do, you shall not turn aside from the word which they declare to you, to the right or to the left. Deuteronomy 17.11 Reforming Society When Jehoshaphat initiated reforms, one of the first areas of reformation was the judicial system, and he appointed judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, Consider what you are doing, for you do not judge for a man, but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. Second Chronicles 19, 5-7 Reformation came from the top and bottom. 
judges' decisions must not issue from political or economic pressures or calculations or any merely human purposes, but from obedience to the Lord of heaven, earth, and history, and to the righteous laws he has revealed to us in scriptures. The prophets of Israel continued to warn the nation that only the law of God serves as a legal system's foundation. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn, Isaiah 8.20. Any attempt to repudiate the law of God as a standard for righteousness establishes man as judge, lawgiver, king, and savior. It leaves man under the rule of darkness. The Bible clearly shows that law originates in the character of God, and definitions for justice and righteousness find their meaning in him and not in the finite, fallible, and fallen nature of the creature. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us, Isaiah 33:22. The Bible presents law as abiding forever because it reflects God's own immutable character. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and righteousness, Psalm 111, 7 and 8. Thy testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness benefits thy house, O Lord, forevermore. Psalm 93, 5. All commandments are truth. Of old I have known from thy testimonies that thou hast founded them forever. Psalm 119, 151b through 152. The sum of thy word is truth, and every one of thy righteous ordinances is everlasting. Verse 160. The word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 48. The word of man is feeble because his nature is finite and fallen. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 46-8 through 8. A Law Unto Themselves The modern use of law makes it arbitrary based in one case on a judge and another on the word of a Fuhrer like Adolf Hitler. Thus man becomes the lawmaker, and the word of human authority becomes the new law. The courts, therefore, no longer are bound by any law. They have, in effect, become a law unto themselves. Satan's lie is alive and destroying our nation, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3.5 as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, the accusations began. God cross-examined Adam and Eve, beginning with the responsible agent in the family, Adam. Adam blamed his wife and ultimately God. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Verse 11. God then cross-examined Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. The serpent deceived me, and I ate, Genesis 3.13. In other words, both of them blamed their environment. Both of them implicitly blamed the one who made their environment, God. But God was not responsible. Neither was their environment. Adam sinned willfully and was fully responsible. Eve sinned because she had been deceived, 1 Timothy 2.14. But she was also fully responsible. God punished both of them for their sin, Genesis 3:16 through 19. He also punished the serpent, Genesis 3:14, a punishment that promised ultimate victory to the seed of the woman over the forces of evil, 3:15. Murder, Genesis 4:8 and 23, and other acts of violence, 6:2, then become part of the cursed created order. 
God therefore implemented laws to deal with the violence that resulted from man's sinful desires. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. 9.6 Laws protecting life, Exodus 20.15, property, verse 13, and personal slash neighbor relationships, verses 12, 14, 16, were made part of the system of laws that Israel was bound to follow. Justice, therefore, was defined in terms of the law, God's law. The power of the sword. While the church is given the authority of the keys, Matthew 16, 19, the state has the power of the sword, Romans 13, 4. The sword means the power to inflict violence. There are certain crimes that necessitate the use of the sword. For example, capital crimes, where the church has no jurisdiction. Church and state are separate, God-ordained monopolies in the respective realms. Israel's governmental systems were decentralized. Judges and their offices and the elders of the people were appointed to a variety of cities on the local level. They were responsible to administer justice in the locale where they were installed to power. If a slain person is found lying in the open country in the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess, and it is not known who has struck him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance to the cities which are around the slain one. Deuteronomy 21, 1-2 Atonement had to be made for the death of a person found in an open field outside the boundaries of any particular city. The city closest to the slain body was responsible to make atonement. The city was represented by elders, representing civil affairs, and judges, representing judicial matters. While cities had numerous elders and judges, the law of God bound them to follow the same legal procedures. The law of God ensured that people were being judged by righteous judgment, no matter which judge kept court. When a foundation of law is denied, those who rule in our nation's courts establish themselves and their own ethical ideals as the standards for righteousness. Often an individual who dislikes the verdict handed down in one court appeals to a higher court to find a judge who operates with a different set of judicial principles based upon a different law. Judicial decisions from state to state often differ because the absence of any standard of righteousness. In many courts throughout our land, there is a decided bias against the Christian religion. Law has become sociological, pragmatic, and utilitarian. Law becomes a shifting foundation determined by minorities that can, keep, can whip up majorities or control the courts. Law loses its reliability. People then lose faith in the court system. The result is lawlessness, rebellion, and even greater efforts to centralize civil power. Judicial Safeguards the standard for justice already has been established, the word of God. Judges are unable to judge rightly unless the standard of righteousness comes from the law of God. To operate contrary to justice is to deny the word of God. First, the status of a person involved in or accused of a crime would not be taken into account when he is judged. Fallen man tends to favor the rich because they hold greater influence in the community where the judges reside. The poor are easily disadvantaged because their meager living does not afford the options when available to the often available to the affluent. On the other hand, the poor often are pitied when they commit a crime and thus are able to use their economic condition to arouse pity and to overrule requirements of the law. God's law makes no provision for favoring the rich or pitying the poor when a crime is committed. 
You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Leviticus 19.15 Second, Paul says, The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 The Bible warns the judge not to be influenced by bribes. Moreover, in choosing men for the office of judge, one requirement is that they hate dishonest gain. Exodus 18.21 Instead of seeing the law as the standard of judgment, money too often becomes the dispenser of justice. This is why the Bible again and again prohibits the taking of bribes by judges or governors. Third, the law of God is not one law among many to be chosen at will to fit only certain circumstances. The Asherah was a female deity of the Canaanites, Baal was the male counterpart, usually represented by a wooden pole or a luxuriant tree that was considered to be sacred. When the Israelites entered the land, they were commanded to destroy the foreign sanctuaries so the pagan religions of the Canaanites would be rejected in the minds of the people. Any attempt to mix the prevailing religion of the day with the purity of the faith delivered to Israel was prohibited. The religion of the creature and true faith delivered by the Creator have no common ground. Given enough time, the religion of man perverts the Christian faith. For example, Jesus commands the church of Ephesus because they cannot endure evil men and put to the test those who call themselves apostles, Revelation 2.2. Moreover, they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, Revelation 2.6. On the other hand, Jesus rebukes the church of Thyatira because they tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Revelation 2.20 Tolerating an admixture of pagan influence eventually leads to outright apostasy. When a nation's judicial system seeks to institute a law system that mixes the law of God with the laws of men, over a period of time, God's laws will be repudiated. The shift from a legal system based upon the law of God to a legal system based upon the wavering laws of men takes time, however. The shift is often imperceptible. When man's laws, based upon the independent reasoning of the creature, are made equal with revelation, we can be assured that the new law system is in place. Christians must know that there can be no so-called neutral system of law. When the law of God is replaced by any other system of law, that pagan system of law is an Asherah next to the altar of God. The Reformation of the 16th century attacked the idea that there was a foundation for law outside the Bible. Man's intellect, the church, and the state were bound by the absolute authority of the Bible. This Reformation thinking was carried to the various colonies by the pilgrims and Puritans during the 17th century. Many of the state constitutions of the 18th century reflect the biblical basis for law. The will of the people or the decree of the state did not serve as the foundation for justice. Natural Law, a wolf in sheep's clothing. There were many in the latter part of the 18th century, however, who attempted to overthrow the Christian foundation of law by establishing the people's collective conscience, the so-called social contract, as the standard for law. Liberal John Locke and radical Jean-Jacques Rousseau are the two most famous 18th century social contract theorists. Natural law theory led to the establishment of an elite lawmaking group that determined the nature and direction the courts would take. 
Darwinian evolutionism served as the death knell to the concept of absolute law. Law no longer was rooted in the creator, but found its meaning in experience or the evolving natural order of things. Autonomous reason has been erected in the courts of our day. Law, rooted in the mind or will of man, has replaced the law of God. The will of some earthly court is final. While the judicial system of the United States was originally established to interpret the Constitution in light of biblical law, along the lines laid down by Blackstone, the court system now has set itself above the law, where it makes law independent of any fixed authority. It is unfortunate that in our day, when the world is crying for reliable and absolute standards to help in decision-making, many Christian scholars and leaders still appeal to a natural law solution, even though they know full well that its origins are pagan. According to Connaught Marchner, here is what passes for a good system of ethics. Natural law ethics are adequate to the task. The philosophy of natural law has been time-honored since the ancient Greeks. Though intellectual fashions change, the objective moral order, noble by man and within the reach of mankind, can be reasonably seen as the most stable basis of personal, national, and international order and happiness. Miss Marchner admits that natural law theory comes from ancient Greece, where the philosophies of homosexuals like Plato and Aristotle placed man at the center of the universe. She goes on to say that they are knowable by man and can be reasonably seen. Why then is there so much disagreement around the world as to what constitutes a just society if reason is the only problem? Right reason certainly does not work in the minds of the Soviet leadership or in the mind of a pro-abortionist. The murder of nearly 60 million people by Joseph Stalin, 1879-1953, and the death of nearly 2 million unborn babies every year in the United States since 1973 is the result of the repudiation of biblical law in favor of natural law. Natural law is rooted in nature, and nature is evolving to bring about the inevitable. Whatever is, is right, so we are told. Those who advocate natural law see it as equal to biblical law. We are told that we need both standards. Miss Marshner continues, If order is to be restored to society and the underpinnings of freedom preserved, America must return to non-consequential ethics. What would be the basis for such ethics? Some say the sole possible basis is revealed religion. This is a mistake. First of all, the Bible and all other revealed documents do not answer explicitly all the ethical questions that arise. If revealed religion, the Bible, is not the sole possible basis for decision-making, then what is? The Bible says, no one can serve two masters, Matthew 6.24. The Apostle Paul writes that Christians are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 6.14. How then can Christians be unequally yoked with unbelieving ethical systems? For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Verse 14 and 15. The premise of these natural law advocates is that the Bible cannot be used as an ethical handbook to deal with issues like genetic screening, nuclear weapon systems, or in vitro fertilization, because the scriptures speak only by interpretation. But can't the same thing be said about every ethical system? 
there's always interpretation. At least with the Bible, we know that our starting point is reliable. Natural law is flawed from its inception because it assumes that nature, creation, is not fallen, that man's reasoning abilities are not distorted due to the fall, and that ethics is based on philosophy and not religious precepts. Again, Miss Marshner has little use for the Bible. Citizens must defend their rights, and they must defend them intellectually by employing and invoking an objective system of right and wrong. This new traditional system of ethics is based on philosophical precepts, not on religious precepts, and can be understood and accepted by anyone willing to master the intellectual rigors of it. Who will determine what an objective system of right and wrong will be? What if the precepts of the Bible are rejected by those willing to master the intellectual rigors of these philosophical precepts? If history is any indicator, the Bible will be rejected in favor of self-serving, humanistic natural law. Religion is an enemy to natural law. Stalin's words should silence all who appeal to the supposed inherent reasonableness of natural law. We guarantee the right of every citizen to combat by argument, propaganda, and agitation any and all religion. The Communist Party cannot be neutral toward religion. It stands for science, and all religion is opposed to science. So much for objectivity, non-consequential ethics, and philosophical precepts. One last nail needs to be driven into the coffin of natural law. If natural law is adequate as a basis for ethical standards, why were the Israelites required to hear the revealed law read at least once every seven years? Gary North writes, Human reason, unaided by God's revelation, untwisted by God's grace, cannot be expected to devise a universal law code based on any presumed universal human logic. What mankind's universal reason can be expected to do is to rebel against God and his law. Ethical rebels are not logically faithful to God. Biblical law had to be read to everyone in Israel at least once every seven years, Deuteronomy 31, 10-13. God presumed that men would not understand his law unless they heard it, Deuteronomy 31.13. Every resident of the land had to listen to this law. If the whole of biblical law had been ingrained into the consciousness of all men from the beginning of time, or if the terms of the law, including the law's explicit penalties, were always available to all men through the exercise of man's universal reason, then the law would not have required the priest to read the Mosaic Law before the congregation of Israel every seventh year. The heart is deceitful above all things, and de desperately wicked. Who can know it? The question of the prophet Jeremiah 17.9 rings just as true today. The heart that says it can interpret neutral, universal, reasonable, natural law is deceitfully and desperately wicked. Who therefore can know natural law? What is needed is an interpreter. The Bible is that interpreter. Many people may interpret the Bible differently, but over time, God rewards those who interpret it correctly and also apply it faithfully. God blesses those who are covenantally faithful. Thus, history progressively reveals true law from false law. Though not without historical defeats for the faithful in periods of general apostasy, principle 5 of the covenant, continuity. Summary the third basic principle in the biblical blueprint for civil government is that God's law as revealed in the Bible is the standard for personal righteousness and national obedience. 
The world is looking for answers to life's most basic ethical problems. The promise of freedom under the lie of moral relativism has led our nation down the path of destruction and hopelessness. In our attempt to play God, we have turned into the worst kind of devils. We have fooled ourselves into believing that life without law is the closest thing to utopia. The definition of utopia, no place, is the direction we're headed if we do not get back on the path God has set before us. It is only in his light that we see light. To what will we return? Will Christians lead the way in objective, transcendent, and revealed law, or will we compromise with some brand of natural law? Now is the time for Christians to set forth the sure and clear word of God to a world literally dying in a sea of moral subjectivism. This is not time for compromise. The saving work of Jesus Christ to redeem sinners dead in trespasses and sins and his law as a system of personal and social righteousness are the only hope. If we opt for some morally neutral ethical system, then we will confront a world without Christ. Only the law of God is a tutor that will help lead people to Christ. No other law system can do the job that God's law was designed to do. A nation's judicial system rests on law, the law of God or the law of man. Both church and state are bound to follow the law of God as revealed in scripture. The modern understanding of law makes it arbitrary and man becomes a standard for all ethical decision making. The state has the power of the sword to punish lawbreakers as defined by the Bible. Without God's law as a standard, the state is free to establish its own law. Public policy prevails. Politics is king. The individual must bow in submission to the will of the state. The status of an individual involved in or accused of a crime is not to be taken into account when a judge hears his case. The Bible warns judges not to be influenced by money. The law of God is not just one law among many. The acceptance of God's law is not an option for us as individuals or as a nation. Natural law is inadequate as a standard for righteousness. Natural law is determined by man and man alone. The survival of the fittest is natural. Should we codify such behavior? In effect, we have. The right of a woman to abort her defenseless unborn baby is the net result of a consistent natural law ethic. In summary, 1. Men have always sought justice. 2. God is a source of justice that is truly just. 3. Honest judgment always rests on objective law. 4. The Bible tells men what a just legal system looks like. 5. Dominion is always exercised in terms of a specific view of the world. 6. To search for justice apart from the Bible is to pursue ethical subjectivism. Many opinions, many voices, many laws. 7. Natural law is one such fruitless, self-defeating search. 8. Legal pluralism is the reign of subjectivism and relativism. 9. There is only one lawgiver, and therefore, only one true law. 10. All people are held accountable before God to obey biblical law. 11. Jesus Christ met this legal standard perfectly. 12. Biblical reformation comes from both the top and the bottom, from rulers and ruled. 13. Modern law is arbitrary. 14. God judged Adam and Eve in terms of his law, not theirs. 15. 
The state possesses the power of the sword, violence. 16. Law is never neutral. 17. Modern laws are increasingly anti-Christian. 18. God has established safeguards for his law. 19. These safeguards are reduced when men mix rival views of law with biblical law. 20. Natural law is one such rival law system. 21. Who will establish which law is truly natural? 22. In the Old Testament, biblical law had to be read to the people every seventh year. Natural law was not sufficient. 23. God blesses covenantally faithful societies over time. 24. True law is thereby distinguished from rival laws.